any job worth doing is worth doing twice. <laughs> with you, Toddster, and it's never going to be the same. This is the thing, right? It's not. <laughs> oh, I got to do that again with Todd because it won't be the same. It'll 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 weave differently, and so which is how the, uh, that's that's the part I like is that yeah. it's never the recording same in progress. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am Todd, and you have to be a little bit excited, are you? A tiny bit? I mean, I don't know what excitement looks like. And different people like different things. There's no question about it. That's why Baskin-Robbins has 50, 39, 8, 2 flavors. However many, a lot of flavors. That's why ice cream comes in many flavors. There we go, got that out. But this is a, a conversation with Sidney Decker. And you can tell because we sort of teased into it. That is the pre-recorded um, junk we talk about before we start talking about the real junk that we came to talk about. You just heard a That's how the sausage is made. That little clip you heard as the intro piece. But it's kind of fun. And I like the fact that we discussed the fact that it's never the same twice. Which I think might have been a gentle left-handed compliment not that i'm anti-left-handed don't get me wrong i don't don't cancel me because i'm anti i'm pro left-handed but that might have been a nice little con but nonetheless it was beautiful and the conversation we have is so fun and you'll enjoy this immensely immensely i promise that so this is part one of part two this is gonna be a two-parter and that's actually by design and the reason it's by design is because when young Dr. Decker called me and said, hey, uh, I'm, I would like to come on and do a podcast, I knew that he secretly wanted to talk about his new book, Compliance Capitalism, because I want to talk about the new book, Compliance Capitalism, because I want to ask him this question, what on earth made you pick the title Compliance Capitalism? Which I actually think is a really good question, because that is a frightening title to me, unless I'm an, you know, if you're an economist, that's like, that's, that's toilet reading. But for us, holy cow, I mean, wow. And so we have that conversation. But what happened is, is that we had a giant conversation before we had the conversation about the book. And, of course, the giant conversation before I found super interesting as well. And I didn't want to throw it away. And I secretly thought this would happen. So I was prepared for it. Hence the reason the recording is in progress. Right. I uh, I decided to actually do a two-parter, which I think is good because it builds interest and it'll actually make part two more interesting because it's the exciting conclusion. We'll leave it on a cliffhanger because that's the way you leave good drama. And then you'll pick right back up next week and hear the rest of it. So, so that is the conversation. I have to tell you, it is always energetic and fun to talk to people for the podcast, partially because they're so darn excited to get to talk with you. And that's nice. And I don't mean that as kind of buttering you up stuff. It's not buttering you up stuff. I, they really are genuinely excited. And, and they know that you'll be listening. And they have a chance to, to talk. But it's even more fun, if you ask me, when you get to just sit around and chat about things. Not really have an agenda. Not really know where the conversation is going to go. Because it hardly matters. We're limited in that at some point we're going to push stop. Because... You know, 30 minutes is plenty of time for a conversation, but I'm always, I'm, I've been lately, I've been very interested about where things are heading 
And I know I come by that honestly, and I know you're in the same place as I am. Because we've just had two years of just complete uncertainty. I mean, just uncertainty, uncertainty. No matter whether you had to stay at home or you had to go to work, whether you're traveling or not traveling, there's just a lot of uncertainty, and it's everywhere. And and so I'm always interested in what people think is going to happen next. What will happen next? But I can't really ask what will happen next because nobody knows that answer. I mean, they'll make crap up, but they don't know. So what I want to know is what they're thinking. What are you? Th- who are you listening to? Who are you reading? Who are you following? What are you thinking? Because that's a little snapshot into, hmm, these people are thinking about this, and these people are thinking about this, and then that gives me some things to think about as well. And I'm always kind of looking for new stuff to think about. That's that's a big part of it. Since it's getting cold, um, the bike riding has been greatly deterred. Now, Steve de Albuquerque did tell me straight to my face that there's no such thing as too cold of weather. You just have the wrong equipment. I think he said it more clever than I just said it. So I, I must admit, I, I may need to get better equipment. But when it's kind of cold, riding your bike doesn't seem that much fun. And I know you. a lot of people have been really pounding on me. I'm not really going to put my electric bike on rollers in my house by my refrigerator. That was a joke. Although, the more I say it out loud, the more compelling that idea is. But but it is kind of, I mean, I'm in a place where you can ride pretty often. And we did just ride around Palm Springs, which that was really fun. They had, they had um, interesting bike trails that go through gigantically beautiful and sort of weirdly green for the desert golf courses. So I hadn't spent much time in that part of the world, but I had a really great time. Special thanks go out to the, to the National Park people because um, uh, we got to hang out at Joshua Tree. And then we got to do something. We I got to drink a date milkshake. And if you've not had that, make it. Buy some dates, grind them up, make a milkshake. It's uh, it's yeah, it's it's a worthwhile endeavor to be sure. So that is really kind of a recap of my week. But it's been a great. I mean, things are good. Uh, just zooming by at rocket ship pace. But that's how things happen. So let's get into the conversation with uh, Sidney Decker because that will be meaningful and fun and you'll like it a lot. So it's just, a, it's just a day like any other day. And remember, his goal was to talk about his new book, Compliance Capitalism. But what you're going to hear now is the conversation that happened before we talk about the new book. And that's just kind of like, what are you thinking? What's ahead? So sit back and relax. Just the three of us, you, me, and Sidney Decker chatting about the world we live in. So here we go. There's a, a great interest in what you're thinking now. <laughs> um, if I believe my friend Todd, it would be a donut on the screen behind <laughs> you, right? In the thought bubble. That's what I'm thinking right now. That's the right thing to have in a in there. Uh, yeah, although donuts you keep burping them up, you yes. know, and so they're they're a gift that keep giving, you know. Yeah, that, that's right. That's, uh, um, but um, uh, yeah, okay. But we can let's do that one first. Then the um, yeah. the, the where do we go f- now? What am I thinking now? Um, so, well, I mean, you can base it base it on the idea that. This has been a hell of a 24-month period, and so much has gone on. We really haven't talked on the podcast, really, 
since that. I mean, we, no, haven't, we, haven't. we haven't really touched base because everybody moved in their own separate directions and things were crazy. And with that level of uncertainty, I, I can see why um, there would be interest in sort of what you're thinking. Uh, making some quick notes here, Todster. No worries. Um, Yeah, we can have a cool conversation about that. How long is it again? 20-something? Yeah, 28, 27, something like that. All right. All right. Um, where, so, when if you want the highlights, what, what are the highlights for you that we should, that we should hit um, for the audience in the first one? The fir- I think that, so I think the first one really gives an opportunity to talk about what has happened and what that means. And how that's going to influence uh, strategically how that could potentially influence the next, uh, I don't know, 18 months. It's it's so hard to, to say. But I think a really cool description of what you think we've been through and, and what potentials lie in that. Is, is there good that can come from this? Are there, are there things we can learn? Are there things we should be doing? Um. Those, those kind of questions I think are pretty, and a free flowing conversation's almost perfect, and well, yeah, yeah. So well within your wheelhouse. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, is this something that you have already reflected on with your audience before? Um, so? Not so much. Uh-uh. No, and, and what's interesting is is I g- keep getting these emails. You should talk to Decker about what he thinks about what's going on and where he thinks things are going. So I think that's actually a pretty reasonable question. I am the Decker Whisperer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought Jay was the was was the uh, the Whisperer, but okay. I think you're too loudmouth for that, my friend. Uh, you're not a Whisperer. That's true. <laughs> Have you ridden your bike today? Yes. Yeah, 20, 22 miles today. It was pretty windy, so it was kind of a good workout. I have to change tires. Uh, I have to put new tires yeah. on. I'm not very excited about that. No, that's a bitch. Yeah. Um, you can actually, you can actually, yeah, farm that sort of workout. Yes, I think I might. I, I have the yeah, tires. Yeah. So. Oh, you do. There you go. You yeah. know, owner supplied. We just did the work. There you that's go. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, all right, my friend. Um, let me just look at the the right way to come into this um, because your question is pretty broad. And you, and you can make it more. You can make it more finite without. Without a doubt, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, totally will. there's yeah, no, yeah, yeah. there's no worry on that. I mean, I'm just really curious. What did you think about what we've been through? How ready, how, how ready are organizations for it? How ready were they? Um, and some are yeah. quite ready. And cool. what's, what's this mean to all the work you've done? Yeah. Um, All right, let's go. All right, my friend.
So we haven't talked, certainly since all this pandemic excitement started. What have you been up to? What's going on? What are you thinking? I'm dying to know. And so is everybody else. <laughs> so, well, those are three questions. I mean, what's going on? What am I thinking? And what am I been up to? Um, so, well, of course, I wrote another book. Um, but we can talk about that in another in another episode, I think, because it's probably worthwhile to talk about that book. It's a very it's a, actually an exciting book and a, and a necessary book. It's a it's called Compliance Capitalism, right? And so it it tries to answer the question how it can be that in you know, in in a uh, in a country where the government is trying to sort of do lighter touch, deregulate. Um, uh, get rid of some uh, some of the, the the overly burdensome regulations that most workers actually feel feel that they are uh, more burdened with compliance yeah. demands. And so, how does that happen? Where does it come from? And so, that's the dynamic that I dig into. And I thought I found some really interesting and surprising things. Well, I got to tell you about those. Let's make a deal. Let's uh, why don't we do? Let's just follow this up immediately and do a whole podcast on that. That'd be great. So let's let's chit chat like we often do. We'll make that part one, all right, and all then right. part two entirely the to the book. That's a great idea. We'll park that for now. That's cool. But the other thing I've been up to is not traveling, um, probably much like yourself and many of your uh, your listeners. Um, and so, uh, which has been a, a, you know, a, a blessing uh, in many ways. Um, but uh, and I've been uh, I've been renovating my uh, my own airplane uh, to get it up to date with all the all the kit and instruments so that I can actually uh, fly to my, my, uh, my talks and meetings and lectures uh, rather than be flown. Um, Cause I'm not eager, you know, as a pilot, I was never eager to sit in the back to begin with, right. but uh, certainly, certainly not now, you know, with incidents of unruly passengers and mask refusals and other, other nonsense going down in the back, you go, nah, I can do without. So I fly myself. So there's limits to how far you can travel with that, obviously, but um, at least domestically, that should be uh, very doable. So that's exciting. That's an exciting project. Um, as always, you know, you renovate a house, you renovate a car, you renovate a, an airplane. Um, you're always, your estimates are always way under budget and way, <laughs> you know, way, way optimistic in terms of time. Oh, it'll be done by Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas next year, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's painful, but you know, it, it all fits under the YOLO label. You know, you only live once. And so at least as far as we know, as far as I know, um, so, um, and you know, my kids never worked for the money, so why should they get it? You know, well, fair enough. Well That's fair spend enough. And it on an airplane. Although, yeah. So, um, the what other you, thing what, though is what kind uh, of plane do you have? What are you flying? I'd say, uh, so that the one I have, uh, many people in aviation will know a, a Cessna Skyhawk, a of 172. Yeah. And I'm putting a, um, putting a whole Garmin, sorry, I shouldn't be mentioning company names probably, but, uh, anyway, but <laughs> nice autopilot. One. Yeah, that's the one. A nice autopilot in it and uh, uh some uh, some a, a glass cockpit basically so so which is uh, which is nice so um but you know all of that is is those are sort of luxury issues i think the um the the more important things that have been happening uh, todd is is i think both you and i have seen with the um with the pandemic uh, a couple of I suppose both painful and really interesting things. I mean, the, the really interesting and encouraging things, and we got to talk about those, are in recognizing that people can actually be extremely productive without having strong managerial surveillance breathing down their neck in some, you know, cubicle farm. Um, 
the um, which I think speaks loudly and richly to many of the points that you and I have been making over the years, right? In terms of freedom of the frame and in terms of trusting your people and all of that. So we got to talk about that. The other thing we got to talk about, though, is the is the is, is the enormous amounts of invisible work going on to keep society afloat in the way that we know it. I, the, the sorts of things that you know have been labeled essential work, and rightfully so. But at the same time, I've, I've laid bare, uh, I think, over the past two years, the the fissures and fault lines in society that should have been visible to us to begin with, right? right. In, in terms of um, social injustice and and the expectations of how things are run um, for uh, for very little expenditure on our part, um, and. I, again, it, it shouldn't take a pandemic, I, I have concluded, for us to be aware of those fault lines, of those fissures, of those, of those social injustices. And um, that's something that, that's made, um, that I think has made a, a big impact on, on what I read, what I, uh, uh, what I discuss even with my students. Um, the, um, um, uh, at the same time, uh, and this is an interesting one, my teaching load has doubled at the university because higher education has shed an enormous number of positions everywhere. Um, you know, the US, uh, but many other countries, of course, suffered the loss of international students, which were always an amazing uh, uh, source of income uh, for many universities. And uh, as a result, um, they've got rid of a lot of um, particularly contract uh, faculty and, and other other uh, teaching staff, um, which means that you know senior professors needed to sp- jump into the um, into the breach. And uh, uh, so I, I teach uh, social science to first years, which is really cool, uh, and some other things, which which actually is great fun. So um, it's um, it hurts the the research income, um, but you know that was hurting already because that was largely industry driven, and I had never anticipated my lab had never anticipated a situation in which all industries um, would take a nosedive at the same time. You know, previously if it was just one industry that took a nosedive, it was always something else to you know pick up the slack. But uh, and in this case, you know, healthcare in part picked it up. But so so that's that's the backdrop, um, and um, um, but. Um, but Totsa, I mean, so if we talk about this issue of the surprising um, uh, delights, delights, if I could use that word, um, of a pandemic in terms of um, work getting done, um, despite the fact that we don't have rules for it, despite the fact that we uh, rely a lot on trust and confidence and people's improvisational skills to make it happen. What have you seen? Because there's some, I think there must be some great examples that you've run across. Oh, there has been. And, and to me, it's, it's, it's this rich tapestry of dichotomy. So we really see where, where our, our parts of our societies and our organizations and our systems and our processes were extremely brittle and, and, mm. and, and not incredibly effective. We did not know this because we hadn't tested them with the global shortage of toilet paper test yet, but also in the same in the same breath, it's it's exactly what you're observing. We also really discovered where these incredibly adaptive, amazing people live within our organizations that keep things going, that that keep things yeah. happening. Yeah. And, and to me, what's so interesting is that the ability to learn from this seems too important to waste. And mm. I th- I think we have to learn what was effective and really celebrate the fact that Darwin was right. Survival belongs to the most adaptive 
There's mm. no question about that. But also, I think, learn from where our systems were especially brittle, and we just didn't know. I mean, we just mm. – we never imagined um, – we, we never imagined a pandemic that would be triggered by a Suez Canal clog, which would be triggered <laughs> – I mean, you think about the multiple events all – really sort of living on the same tapestry. They they all exist in the same plane, but they represent these incredible ups and these incredible downs simultaneously. And that's CDA, been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul Celia, one of the, the complexity researchers uh, that I worked with in South Africa, he, uh, he, he liked to remind us of the fact that uh, in a crisis, all correlations go to one. And right, nothing is not connected to any every everything else. Yeah. Right. And so I mean the, the, the sideways ship of the Suez Canal being a beautiful example. But but I think there's there's two factors and two discoveries, Tots, or two, you know, uh phenomena, facts that um I think would speak for the 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 persistence of the the, the, the important lessons. But there's also, I think, a cautionary note on one of the lessons that we learned. Let me let me let me mention. Let me throw these to you first. So the two things that I think um, uh, would support the idea that that these changes or these insights that the pandemic generated—that is, hey, we can actually work even though we're not directly under surveillance. We can do really useful and productive work. In fact, we can probably do more productive work, right? And even if if we're not directly monitored. Um, uh, and we can improvise uh, uh, a lot. We can adapt very quickly um, when push comes to shove. Um, and even if there's no guidance or, or, or precedent available for us to do so, uh, those are incredibly encouraging lessons. I think the so two things. One is the fact that um, we have basically laid bare. Uh, the, 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 the glut of managers in the U.S., yeah. right? This has been written about now, right? the, that organizations have so many layers of management, um, right? In, in some organizations, it's like eight layers between the work floor and, and the boardroom, and you go, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's laid bare the, uh, the irrelevance or the redundancy of some of these layers or some of these pockets within these layers because there's, you know, there was nothing to manage, and yet work went on. Right. It's like I still remember one one of the guys um, at, a, at a public transport company uh, looking out the window uh, on a weekday. And um, it was at a very busy uh, intersection of rail lines that his company uh, actually uh, ran. And so he's looking out the window. I mean, from however many floors up, right? He sees these trains going by past and another train and they stop and they go, oh, yeah, there's lots of intersecting trains and, you know, ferrying hundreds of thousands of passengers every day in this city. Right. And, and he looks out and goes, um, what I don't understand is how this can run on a Saturday or Sunday when we're not here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, right. I, I think after the pandemic, I mean, that, that's sort of a, I mean, you, you get the point, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I said, well, we're not managing it yet. It runs. How is this possible? <laughs> um, and it's that realization that I think has has newly empowered people who think uh, differently around the notion of management, supervision, surveillance. Um, then there's a very practical issue, and that is just labor shortage on the market. That just tends to empower people, right? And so they can say they can vote with their feet, and or with you know, two, or two cans of beer in their hand as they slide down the emergency uh, escape. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Screw you! Two cans of beer. Screw you, um, my airline employer. Pew, yep. 
And they are. They are voting with their feet. I mean, the amazing amazing thing, and you see it, you're seeing it in Australia. They're definitely seeing it in Europe. They're seeing it all across North America. Mm. People are just leaving their jobs. They're just – they're just saying yeah. this isn't worth yeah. it. I've I've recentered, I've refocused, and I have different yeah. priorities, yeah. and they don't involve you. And and sometimes it means going to another employer like the previous one, but perhaps under some better conditions because you can now renegotiate. But of course, the more the more the more storied and sort of inspiring examples are those where you where you start an organic uh, I don't know a chicken farm or something, you know, and because you've discovered that the meaning of life is not with is not going to be fulfilled in your office cubicle. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's super, super exciting. I'm not sure um, it'll be fulfilled in an organic chicken farm either. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying, no, no, fair enough. Yeah. Fair, you know, to, to each, to each her, her or his own. Um, but, um, but I think the, so the, the, the lesson that we shouldn't be forgetting at Totser, but, but that, I think is sort of the logical conclusion of our celebration of innovation and improvisation and, and adaptation. When you look at, for example, um, medical personnel across the U S right. And, and particularly in the first months of the pandemic and, you know, big conglomerate cities like New York. And now of course, you know, often in rural areas where um, uh, we ask our colleagues in these fields to borrow from their own futures and from their own health and from their own families and from their own lives in order to just give, 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 right? And the adaptive capacity of, of, of any system, well, first of all, I don't think ethically should rely on people being willing to borrow from their future, their health, their family, their lives, right? In order to supply that adaptive capacity. Typically though, and this is, you know, the, the uh, Hippocratic Oath, right? As in, you know, first do no harm. And um, uh, many medicos would would see it as as completely overlapping with their ethical calling, their vocation to to do this and to borrow from their own health and their own lives and their own families in order to keep supplying, right? And supplying the adaptive capacity of the system um, because that's sort of the duty ethic that they're all brought up with and which is a beautiful thing. But it's not sustainable, nor is it, you know, ethical in the larger sense, right. I don't think. And so, I mean, for us to say, oh, healthcare turned out to be really adaptive. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of examples where it was. But by God, what price did people in it pay to make it so? I think that's a question we shouldn't stop asking. How do we get people to seriously take on that question of, of what administrative and bureaucratic burdens can we remove from the workers? We, we know they don't matter or we've, no. we've done an experiment, a micro experiment where we've removed them quite abruptly. Oh, that was more than a micro experiment. I think it was a macro experiment. That's true. It was global. It was global. <laughs> a major experiment. Yeah. Um, so how, I think, well, there, there's two things. One, one is already uh, in what you said, which is the macro experiment is there, right? If you, you probably have all kinds of data about how much, surveillance and supervision what's going on before the pandemic and some productivity figures, then you can contrast that, you know, you can, you can probably correct that, those figures for, for uh, revenue output, you know, supply line issues, whatever matters, right? But the, the intelligence of most businesses have around these things is enormous and very richly, um, richly patterned. So I, I think um, do the comparison stick the numbers against each other and say, all right, if we don't have these layers, how much are we saving? How much productivity are we losing um, relative to before the pandemic? Hard-nosed, just accountancy. But I think the other one is to ask your workers. Right? 
what's the most stupidest, you know, the stupidest managerial position that you can think of in your organization, right? Um, when have you ever needed your manager uh, while working from home? Um, uh, or even, you know, when, when doing essential work out in the field and the manager is nowhere to be found because she or he is too afraid to be out there because you can get contaminated or whatever, right? And so um, ask the workers as you, as you always tell us that we should be doing as well. Right. Right. So, oh, absolutely. Um, do, do you, do you see, uh, are you seeing is probably a better question. Um, hesitancy to make changes. Like I'm seeing a really hard, almost magical thinking push that it'll just go back to the way it was. It'll just, we'll just get back <laughs> to the way it was. It'll, and, and clearly that's not an option. I think it's too early to say, Tom. Yeah. If you if you if you take the perspective of sort of big history, there is not a single pandemic that did not somehow lead to an inflection point in history. Um, right, the Black Death led to the empowerment of not only workers but also women, because you know we we were bodies short of bodies basically, right, to do work, and so. Um, the, uh, and so every pandemic in history has has examples of how this created inflection points in often in 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 in, in social justice in empowerment of, of otherwise or previously uh, underprivileged groups. Um, I, given that we're in the middle of of the COVID era, right? We might we might have seen the first of this severe crisis behind us, perhaps a little bit, depending on how many funky variants are going to come out um, or have a chance to produce uh, in, in unvaccinated parts of the world. Um, but, uh, you know, two years in a pandemic is nothing. You know, these things last, I mean, they never really end anyway. You know, it's, right. this thing will just go endemic. But, you know, um, Spanish flu, four years, right? I right. think COVID for itself. So, so I think we're in the middle of it, Tolster. But, I do believe that we can see the outlines, the sketches of of some discoveries of what makes sense to do as a society, what makes less sense. Um, uh, who knows? I'm making this up, but but uh, because I actually haven't seen any study backing this up, but there may be a correlation between an increasing realization, as is now being talked about in Glasgow right now, right during the time that we're we're recording this podcast. Um, of what actually matters in, in, in managing a world, world economy, right? Um, not burning up the planet. Um, that may not have had so much attention if we're just all, you know, pre-pandemically happy, crappy, busy, uh, making, making the next buck, right? Perhaps this, this sort of thing, I don't know, um, uh, not focuses, but broadens our minds about what matters. Um, and so, um, again, also, I think in terms of, uh, social justice, empowerment, um, the sorts of things that we were just talking about. Um, yeah, it is possible that we will just come back in and, and bureaucracy and managerial layers will just build themselves up again as they are wont to do, by the way. Right. right? I mean, bureaucracy, bureaucratic creep and bureaucratic entrepreneurism is, uh, have been well documented in sociology and there's not really a reason to believe that the the sort of the impetus and the incentives for bureaucratic creep and bureaucratic entrepreneurism will have been removed because we had a pandemic i mean they still exist probably so um however the realization and the data that we were doing very well without them thank you very much um may remain a point of reference 
and a point of inspiration for those who who uh, who try to resist that. What has surprised you? That I don't miss travel. Yeah, me too. I would agree with that too. I thought I would. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and I, I I miss meeting people, having different types of meals, um, uh, but particularly meeting people and 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 speaking across different languages and. Um, and, and the live inspirations that happen when you meet people and when, you know, you see moments of insight happen or run into the wall, you know, which are, are hugely, I mean, that happens just as frequently, right. As you well know, probably, <laughs> um, that this, these are moments of, of insight and inspiration and realization that are incredibly difficult to replicate, uh, across a zoom link, you know, so, um, sorry, another company name across a teleconferencing link. <laughs> I think it's sort of a generic name right now, right? I am zoomed out. It is. It is a little like Kleenex and Xerox. Yeah, it, it sort of, it yeah. sort of, yeah, hit generic. Generified. Level. Yeah. So, what's what's your advice for the future? Um, don't wait for the next pandemic. Um, if you feel that you're in the wrong spot, if you feel that you're being uh, uh, disadvantaged in the relationships that you have at work or in other situations, um, as as we now know, you have 4,000 weeks on average, right? <laughs> if you're lucky. And so um, that's it. Um, and so that would be my encouragement, as in don't wait for the next pandemic to make these things visible for you, right? To sort of go back into the rut. Um, and I mean, yeah, we, there will be ruts, but um, feel inspired that you are empowered to make change. You are. And this is uh, this is now more obvious than ever. And I would add to that, if I may, if I boldly may, make mm -hmm. learning from your workforce a deliberate after action. Make, make it a deliberate after action. Build it into your system. Talk to the people. What did they miss? Yeah, right. What did they not miss? What did they not miss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Okay, you think we should draw up some uh, guiding questions for for people who, who want to do that? Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, I hadn't thought about right. it. Are you well, thinking? Let's do it right now. Okay. It, well, I mean, what did you miss? What did you not miss? I think those are two incredibly good guiding questions. Yeah, right? I, mean, I mean, and those are amazing conversation starters. Yeah, um, and but I think if you ask your workforce that, um, I think the workforce should it should it should, but. Um, we should expect them to also ask back to the manager, well, what do you need from us to have the confidence right. um, for us to do without that? Right. Um, because you're giving us something or you're, you're giving up something, right. Um, not that we necessarily want to give up something, but what do you need from us? Right. And I think, I mean, that has always been the restorative question, right. About needs and obligations. Right. Um, and so, right. If people, anyway, so yeah, that sort of reciprocity reciprocity would be good. Um Wow. What other guiding questions? So I'm, I'm really curious to ask the workers what they learned. What, what, what did you learn from this? What, what are you taking? What lessons are, are you taking mm. from this activity? Because my guess is their lessons will be very different than the lessons that happen in the C-suite. Like what? My guess is, is they're going to learn a lot about independent decision-making. They're going to learn a lot yeah. of, a lot about the fact that, that when push comes to shove, the only thing that matters ultimately is the, the work they do when they do this high touch, high tech interface with the, the product and the customer. Uh, I mm. think they're going to talk differently about job satisfaction levels. 
They're going to talk differently about teaming activity. They're definitely going to talk differently about identity. Uh, identification, how I identify with the company. And then I think there's a pretty good lesson. We sort of touched on it that I think people are reevaluating what work means to them. Mm. And I think that'll be interesting for companies to know strategically so they can move forward smarter. I mean, that's actually a good point Um, because the balance is certainly the the supposed work-life balance, right? Which according to some never happens anyway, Uh, but it's it's an impossible sort of, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, Valhalla that we dream after, but um, that the work-life balance worked really well for some who were working more from home or or working more uh, unsupervised or less in teams. Um, and not so well for others, right? right? And I think we, we need to be, um, and somehow that should be part of the question. Don't know how to phrase it yet, but sensitive to the fact that there is a diversity in how people relate to the opportunities offered. Um, right. I mean, the fact that you and I, um, embrace and, 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 and take delight in, in the freedom to do what we want to do when we want to do it. Um, Right, which is why we have the jobs we do, right? And 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 um, doesn't mean that it goes for everyone, right? Yeah. Some people really hated working from home, yeah. Right? They they miss some of the structure, the colleagues, the even the settings, and so and that I think should be just as legitimate. And 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 I think that's in essence that's kind of the point of it because in uncertain events like this, diversity matters, right? It, diversity is mm-hmm. a, a key component. It's really important to understand that the workforce will have a different perception of this pandemic than management does because they're fundamentally in different places. And it's not one color, one experience. It's many experiences across the board and all of them are going to be pretty valuable. If we're going to keep people in the workforce and keep some kind of traditional understanding of doing the work we've done in the past, which I'm not sure is going to stay. I mean, I, I think you're going to see some big, big changes. So what do you think? Ugh, just me pontificating there at the end on the era of resignation. The re- what are they calling it? The resignation period, I think they're calling it. It's, these are all really important issues, and I think about them a lot. That was the conversation. We went long, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll cut my in comments short and tell you there's a part two. And part two is where we talk about the book specifically. I think you'll enjoy it immensely. That's the pod. Enjoy yourselves. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. And for goodness sakes, be safe. (laughs) 